Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Roger, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at texasfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. And you can become a subscriber at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. Well, as always, we've got Ishmael Johnson here. Ish, how you doing? Yo, what's up, man? Uh, not a whole lot, not a whole lot. Um, we'll get into this, obviously, but wow. So that's why they call it the butt bowl. <laughs> <laughs> oh man that game was so much butt yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> i think at first like I, I tweeted after the first quarter i was like the first the only touchdown in the game so far has been a defensive touchdown and then like <laughs> it stayed that way for like uh, most of the game until the final quarter <laughs> yeah was I, great. I think that we have been very upfront about the fact that we love bad football right like yeah. you know that's that's uh I think that that's at least somewhat part of our brand. I mean, look, when you cover these teams 1 through 12, chances are all 12 of them are not going to be good in one year. And so this was this was paradise, man. This was this was everything that we said it was going to be and more. I mean, I, I could not believe it. But before we get to that, we got to make a quick stop at number 12 in our college power poll. Oh, man. <laughs> all right. Number 12, the Texas State Bobcats. <sighs> so – Look, here's what I'll say. Mm-hmm. I think that <clears throat> I think that number 12 and number 11 in our power rankings, Texas State and Baylor, our two alma maters, by the way, are two of the best one-win teams I've ever seen. <laughs> it, so, yeah, like congrats. like yeah, right. I know, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yes, let's put it this way. Yes, Texas State is clearly better than last year, right? Yes, yes. Clearly, by quite a like, bit. In my by qu- by quite a bit. The only problem is there's things that just go wrong every week that just absolutely every ruin games. Week. So and this week, it was a absolutely horrendous <laughs> yeah. roughing the passer call Awful. on third and 12, right. with six minutes to go, down six uh, for Georgia, uh, to Georgia Southern. I, I mean, it was Hal Vinson, but just, I mean, Shywartz has the ball in his hands. Yeah. And Hal Vinson hits him on the shoulder pad with his hands and Shywar, the pass goes out of bounds and it would be a fourth down and it's an automatic first down. Georgia Southern goes down, I believe scores or at least gets a field goal. I can't remember exactly. I think it um, was a field goal. Right. Uh, but long story short, points were on the board. Right. And, and it made it a two possession game. Right. It, it made it a two possession game with six, six or seven minutes to go. Um, it, it was just absolutely, it was, it was game killing basically. Right. And there was, little little things like that right where it was like oh well there goes that game and especially for a game where they were turning the ball over they were playing the run decently like they were you know georgia southern's good is very good at running the ball obviously and so they were getting what they wanted but they weren't getting gashed for anything um the offense wasn't turning the ball over as much uh tyler vitt actually got he he did throw two picks but he also got hurt um, and Brady McBride had to come in, and Brady McBride looked okay. Um, and so Brady McBride ended up finishing the game, and I believe Vitt had his hand wrapped at the uh, toward the end of the game on the sideline, so we'll have to see what his status is. But the offense looked okay um, at times. The running game, I think they maybe relied a little bit too much on it uh, at times, but um, they were moving the ball, right? They were giving the ball to the receivers. Uh, Javon Banks, Marcel Barbie were making plays, and 
Jamar Jamar Sharid was was back, which we haven't seen him in a while. And yeah, that that I mean, it go. It, I hate to say it, but it goes back to that penalty where you're just like, oh, there's the game. Right, man. One thing that I got to say is that I'm telling you, if if Marcel Barbie had consistent quarterback play, that yeah. dude might already have a thousand yards. 100%. You know, like. He has been such a revelation for this team. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, <laughs> they haven't been able to consistently use him because mm-hmm. they've struggled. But, um, you know, just I, again, this team is a lot better. You're, you're just going to have to trust us, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but unfortunately, it's not really coming through as yet. Uh, you know, and, and I've, I feel like I've been saying this since the middle of the season when they dropped like one in five. But, right. you know, at, at the end of the day, I do think that this is going to be a team in 2021 that's, you know, could potentially start faster. And, and it looked like they took a huge step when sure. really it's, it's more of a modest step, but just last, you know, this year, obviously it's just been snake bit. It's just been snake bit. So moving on to number 11, the Baylor bears, they're sitting at one and five after a oh. shocking 24, 23 loss to Texas. Oh, and, and my actually, goodness. So Texas Go tech is number eight. They moved up two spots. Let's just talk about this game together because go for it. Yeah, yeah it was it was just it, it's the same game, right? So yeah, so Baylor they take a twenty-three to twelve lead yep. in the second half, and then are just like, "That's enough, we're, <laughs> right, we're done." <laughs> I I don't see any need to keep trying. And the thing well, I'll say too, I was about to say, well, well before you say that, say that. Usually, that's enough. Right. Well, from what we've seen from Texas Tech this year, that, right. that, that should have probably been enough. Right. And the thing was, too, okay, so Tech scores a touchdown. Um, yeah. they, they have 12 points because they, they had an extra point blocked. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they go down, they score a touchdown. So you think, okay, they get the two-point conversion, make it a one-score, one, like a one-field goal game. No, that's not what happens. They had to go down the field. They missed the two-point conversion, and then – they had to kick two separate field goals to then go and win the game. Mm-hmm. So I, I, to say that Baylor had opportunities to win this game is the biggest understatement of the college football season. We were looking at, I mean, I was looking at Matt Wells' buyout when they went up 20 to six. <laughs> I was like, how, like, cause, cause tech was looking bad, right? Yeah. Baylor was, yeah. Baylor's not a good team and they looked so much, at least competent. They weren't dominating the game by any stretch, but it was like, even the fact that they were just scraping by, you saw the gap in execution and you're like, oh, this is just a, like, it, it looked like tech was just like a badly coached team. Yeah. And and so I was like, when they went up, when Baylor went up twenty to six, I was like, oh, is Tech gonna try and get out from under, uh, trying to get out from under Matt Wells this year? Like this, it was looking bad, and and then Charlie Brewer throws an absolutely terrible interception, <laughs> yeah, um, to an absolutely wide open. Uh, who uh, I forgot who he was throwing to, was it but Sneed? it was like, I, I, I think it was Snead. It was, Sneed. It was a, Sneed had found the perfect pocket in the zone. And Charlie Brewer was like, you know what? I'm going to airmail this over him (laughs) (laughs) right into the tech defender. And it just starts from there. And tech just goes down the field. I think they score on that drive and they're back in the game. Right. And like the funny thing about this game is that, I mean, I'm I'm a fan of both these coaches, but this was Matt Wells versus Dave Aranda is very much a galaxy brain versus galaxy brain matchup. (laughs) Um, You know, so, so in the first half, at the end of the first half, it works. I just want to clarify it worked, you know, clearly it ended up being the right thing, but the way that Dave Aranda managed the last like (laughs) 10 seconds of the game of the first Mm -hmm. half, it was very confusing. So, so what happened was 
Baylor, uh, they they hit a pass. They got sort of on the edge of field goal range. Like John Mayers is a good kicker. You know, he's he's not one that you want necessarily kicking a ton of fifty yard types. You know, mm-hmm. which most college kickers you don't want that. Um, so so what Baylor ends up doing, right? They get the ball. I think that there's seven seconds left. Uh, and when they throw the ball, catch on the sidelines, go out of bound, clock stops. Well, then for some reason, <laughs> they call a timeout, right? Which, which okay, I mean, if you're, if you're getting ready to put out your field goal unit and you really want to slow the game down, okay, sure, mm-hmm. fine. Then they bring the offense back out. And the reason <laughs> that they do that is because then they run a play where Charlie Brewer steps back and throws it out of bounds to bring the clock down to like three seconds. And, and stop the clock, which again is fine, but but here's the deal, right? It's a 48 yard field goal that you're trying. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I want to emphasize, John Mayer's made it, so credit to him. You know, it ended up in hindsight being okay, but right. But like, why? I don't understand, right? Because with seven seconds left, you have a timeout, you go out of bounds, the clock is stopped. Why don't you run one play to anywhere to try to get a few more yards to make the field goal a little bit more manageable, and then call your timeouts? Right. Well, you want to bring up the end of the half. I want to bring up the end of the first quarter from Tech. Sure. Uh, so they, they go down and get a field goal, I think. I, can't remember. They had, I think they had two drives uh, in the first quarter, three maybe. They decide, uh, Matt Wells is like, you know what? Offense ain't moving the ball. Let's go with Alan Bowman again. What was Alan Bowman's first <laughs> pass? Pick six right off the bat. Right off the bat. And so next drive, they're like, you know what? That didn't work out. Back to Henry Columbia. Granted, they got bailed out, but what happens when Henry Columbia comes in? He almost gives up a safety. <laughs> like, he drops back, and I thought it was a safety. They gave him forward yeah. progress, so it was, like, on the two or something like that. Well, so, so what ended up happening, uh, th- what they ended up calling was that Columbia, who was basically wrapped up in the end zone, right? right? Basically, what they said is that while he was getting kind of swung around, he saw the running back there and sort of, like, half passed it to him so that it would land at his uh, feet so they called it an incomplete pass sure so so which i think was the right call but like right. the, the one thing that they should have reviewed because i i thought that it looked okay but like the one thing that they should have reviewed that somebody pointed out to me that i didn't really think about was was it a forward pass because mm. you know it, it was they didn't really show the angle to see whether it was a forward pass again i think it ended up being the right call but it's kind of it's kind of shocking, obviously, in this 24-23 game that, huh, if, if Baylor got two points there and got the ball back, that's quite a swing. Yeah, no, 100%. And uh, I think we do have to talk about the uh, potentially the play of the game for Tech uh, defensively. <laughs> uh, Colin Schuler. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. my Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, so Baylor is driving uh, third, late third quarter. And they're leading 20 to 12. Yeah. Charlie Brewer has an app. He makes, he makes a cut uh, third and goal, I think for, uh, from like the five or something. And he makes a cut inside and he has what should be an app, like a, a stroll, not a stroll, but you know, he should get into the end zone. Right. And he'd been running the ball really well. Right. He really had been, he had a rushing touchdown earlier in the game and you know, tech had just, I guess, forgotten all the last season. So they did forgot that Charlie Brewer could run, but so he, he, he's about to, Baylor's about to go up 26 to 12. And Colin Schooler absolutely destroys him at the one. Just, it's, it's literally like a movie hit. 
where you're like, oh my God, they would never do that in real life. That's too vicious. And that's too like narrative, like <laughs> defining. Cause like, of course, fourth down, Baylor just kicks a field goal and it's 23, 12. And then of course tech wins 24 where they go down and score eventually. And they, you know, it's 24, 23 that saves the game, but like, that's a hit you never see. Like, so, that's a hit. yeah, go ahead. I want to, I want to be very clear for anybody who did not see the play. What happened was that schooler first, right? He's trying to come down on the line. He's like, three yards deep into the end zone, right? So he right. knows he can't get there. So what he does is he goes and he takes the Baylor tight end. I think yeah. it was Drake Dabney. Shoves him shoves off. Shoves him into Brewer, who then goes flying backwards. And then Schooler takes that momentum and just shoves him into the ground. It was it was like a double hit. I, I could not believe. <laughs> I mean, I, I, know that, I know that these are football players and are used to getting hit, right? Like, I get yeah. it. Um, Charlie Brewer's never gotten hit like that. I'll say that now. Yeah. <laughs> Holy right hell. Now. But then, honestly, Charlie just got right back up and was like, all right, what's the next play? I'm like, what? Right, yeah, that's true. that's true. What just happened? I, why? What's happening here? And yeah, uh, yeah Matt Wells called it a four-point tackle. You know, I mean, that's, it, and it that's was, what it was. Yeah. And it 100% was. And go, I, will, I will say, go watch the clip because the call is like one of my favorite <laughs> calls of the year. It was just like, like, oh my I, God. I don't, know who, I, don't know who, I don't know who the play-by-play announcer was, but he literally just goes, oh my God. What? <laughs> like, he's doing his like broadcaster cadence and then he just absolutely breaks that and just goes <laughs> right. into Gus Johnson mode. <laughs> it was insane. And I do want to, I mean, you know, obviously the game was great. It was wild and, and it lived up to the name Butt Bowl. But um, yeah. I do want to quickly talk you know so for Baylor right so Baylor's one and five now they have no games per se that they should win left on the schedule um you know obviously we can have a conversation about how maybe Kansas was the only game heading into this year that they quote-unquote should win right but you know you've already played Texas Tech and you lost uh in in this fashion Mm -hmm. you've already played TCU and you lost you already played West Virginia and you lost right so you're only three games left oh boy Mm. Kansas State Oklahoma Oklahoma State yeah so here's my question. And I, and I wrote about this a little in, in our five things uh, premium piece. If you're Baylor right now, right? The, I think that it's just clear, right? That this is a lost season and that's okay. I mean, this is the weirdest year imaginable. So, you know, this being your lost season, isn't like the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. The thing that's interesting, right? Is that a couple years ago, back in 2017 with Baylor, we saw Matt rule kind of give up a season two. And obviously, you know, everybody's got the revisionist history about how they felt about it at the time. But, you know, everybody was upset. But the thing that was different was that was a team that they played a lot of young guys. Mm-hmm. And because of in- injuries and contact tracing, they have played some young guys. You know, I mean, for example, you know, Drake Dabney, who, I've, who I <laughs> talked about, <laughs> you know, chopping Charlie Brewer in half independent of that he's been very very good he's a true freshman um you know Quaylen Jones was a guy who got in in this game and played really well at running back but I guess it's just a little surprising to me and and obviously it's going to come down to what everybody's talking about right Mm -hmm. why I'm not saying that you have to pull Charlie and not play Charlie right but it seems like you should at least be in a position where you're trying to get other guys reps right yeah, it seems to be at that point where, I don't know, maybe there, is there an indication, I mean, I don't know. To me, there should, there's no indication that Charlie Brewer is not going to be here next year. And so I don't know if this is like a 
a, a favor to him, right? Sure. You know, one of those things, which, I mean, is possible if you've gotten an indication that he's done after this year for whatever reason. Um, you know, maybe they do feel some sort of obligation to him. Um, but you're, if you're David Randa, you have no emotional tie to that. Well, like, and you, I, I will say – about your job. Like, I don't yeah. know. He should be worried about where the program goes next right. year. And the best thing for the program would be to see what some of these other guys have. Well, I, I will say, at least this was before the season, but, um, but Charlie's dad did sort of imply that he would be very interested in coming back next year. Mm-hmm. Now, again, a lot's happened, obviously, so that can change. Right. Um, but, you know, even if that's the case, Right. Like, even if it's the case that, but even if it's the case that you want Charlie to be your starting quarterback next year in 2021, mm-hmm. it still feels like you're at a point where you should at least let the other guys get reps too. You know, right. I'm, I'm wondering if that's, if, if, if we've, if this was the point, right? right? Because, because I, I feel like this, with the weirdness of the bowl schedule, of the bowl qualifications, like, what I'm thinking is like, Maybe Aranda went into this week and the coaching staff went into this week and was like, okay, if we, st- if we get one against Tech, we get one next week against Kansas State, which isn't off the table, and then we pull one upset. Right. Right. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and you get four wins. Right. Okay. Then yeah, that's probably in- enough. Right. And that's probably enough to get into a bowl. And so that, I think that's what maybe they were thinking. And which that's is reasonable. You know, yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not unreasonable to think that with, you know, a four-win Baylor gets in over a six-win, you know, power, uh, group of five team. Like, it just sure. does. Um, and so I'm wondering if, if it's the same case against Kansas State, then I'm confused. Right, right. And I mean, I mean, and I want to be clear, right? Like, again, I'm not saying that you have to dump Brewer, right? Like, I'm not mm-hmm. saying I, – I, a lot of people are – I'm not trying to say that. I do think that – look, I mean, this is a weird year, and we've right. but seen it's, all it's, the- it's, it's There's things other than Brewer, right? You can play right. other young guys in other spots on the field. It's not just Charlie Brewer. Right, right. You know, try to get some more young linemen in there. Try to get some more young uh, guys in the secondary, for example. Um, I mean, you know, I, I just think that it's – at this point, right, you're just trying to develop. And, you know, a lot of these – a lot of these sort of, per se uh, – older guys are, who are playing are still guys who are going to be back, you know, for a year or two at least. So it's not like you're playing guys who aren't going to be part of the team in 2021 for the most part. Yeah. But, you know, again, I don't think that we would have seen Quail and Jones at all if, uh, if we don't have these, you know, these injuries and contact tracing stuff in the running back group. Mm-hmm. And, and he looked really good, right? And so I, I just think that at a certain point you have to start talking about, okay, I mean, and I'm not saying to do this, but like, it's not the rarest thing in the world for a guy to be ruled out with sort of a nicked up injury, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it, that's the sort of thing that, I mean, I'm not telling the staff to say anything like that, but, you know, I mean, look, I think we can all see that Charlie Brewer has been banged up too. So, you know, even if that's the situation, right? And I feel like, I feel like the other thing is like, they're still holding on, you know, Baylor's still holding on somewhat to a pretty decent recruiting class. And so I yeah. feel like yeah. you'd want to, you'd want to see what you have in the young guys right now, because like, theoretically i don't think it's out of the question that kyron jones pushes for the starting job right mm-hmm. i don't think mm-hmm. it's you know i'm not saying he's the problem solver but like if you don't believe in in Bahannon and zeno like i don't see how drones isn't in the conversation for at least second string next year and it's like okay well you should be able to you should be able to want to know what your depth is at least um you got decent linemen coming you got a decent lineman coming in from wall i forgot his name but like, Tate Williams, you got, yeah. like yeah and so you should want to see like okay is this guy going to be somebody we're going to have to lean on a little bit 
you know, maybe in spring to develop them a little bit uh, quicker or uh, over the summer to develop them a little bit quicker because we don't trust our linemen, you know, like, I don't know, like, it, it seems like this is the point now where you're like, okay, are we going to be maybe ushering some of these freshmen and sophomores on a little bit if we don't believe in them to try and get the new guys in? Right, right. Anyway, let's move on from Baylor. Uh, you know, obviously, this is not the Baylor show, but a lot right. to think about. I think of this, you know, the, I think this really is kind of the pivotal week for Baylor, right? Because it's, it's sort of the, all right, this is over. This is not happening, right? right. There, there's, not, there's not some, like, crazy upside that's going to come out. There's not some crazy development that's going to happen. Like, mm-hmm. th- this is where you're straight in development mode. So it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it. it. It is worth noting that they have a bye next week. So maybe the week after that, they, they start playing some different guys just to, just to see, right, just to develop. Sure. Um, so it'll be interesting. I'm curious how they handle it. Uh, but moving on to number 10, North Texas. North Texas had a game postponed against UAB, so we don't have to talk about them. Number nine, we've got UTEP. Uh, UTEP, unfortunately, their run of being 500 has Ooh. come to an end. Uh, and I, I'm curious, do you think that – especially that second half. Do you think that that was more about UTEP struggling or more about UTSA playing well? Man, I do not know because I want to say it's UTSA playing well, but like we haven't seen that version of UTSA's offense this year. Right. And so it really disappointed. They did all that without sincere McCormick. Like (laughs) that's the biggest thing. And that's why I think it's like, I'm really worried about UTEP's defense because UTSA did all of that without their best player. And they did it in a fashion in which they haven't shown the ability or even the, the, the desire to do, right? They, they let, you know, the secondary let Frank Harris beat him with his arm. And it's like, that was the most discouraging, was that. And then, and then like, they were just, like, playing who wants to run the ball and, like, absolutely and getting whatever they wanted with uh, <laughs> right. Kendrick Cobbs, with B.J. Daniels, with Brendan Brady, and then Frank Harris. And it was like, who wants to run the ball? You? Sure. Here's a first down. Like, <laughs> everybody was just getting what they wanted. And so UTEP's defense, you know, I still think is a pretty good defense, but I'm really worried about them just absolutely letting UTSA get whatever they want in that second half. Yeah, I, I think that it was confusing to me, too, because – First of all, because I think that UTEP's defense has played very well this season. Um, Mm -hmm. And now, obviously, it's been a lot of weeks. Uh, But, you know, for example, too, it would have made more sense to me if UTSA gets off to a really hot start as UTEP kind of struggled to get back into it. But it was the opposite of that, right? Mm -hmm. It was was UTEP played pretty well at the beginning when UTSA was struggling. And then UTSA was just like, oh, we figured it out, right? And... Right. And I think that's definitely the more confusing thing to be in. Like, for example, I think that, you know, for UTEP, if UTEP is just keying in completely on the run because they expect Sincere McCormick to be the game plan, okay. You know, if, if that's mm-hmm. the deal that they kind of sold out to stop the run, then, okay, that's fine. But the issue is <laughs> UTSA both passed all over them and ran all over them. Like I was you about to stop either. <laughs> right. So it just sort of – it was very confusing. I mean, I don't think that it's anything – I mean, obviously nothing this season I think is, quote-unquote, a long-term issue because mm-hmm. there's only a couple of games. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I tend to lean more towards giving UTSA credit for it. Now, again, UTEP hasn't played in a bunch of weeks. Uh, we definitely saw that, you know, the Gavin Hardison experience was a little bit of a roller coaster again. Uh, yeah. I think that he – I mean, I still think he played okay. Uh, I thought he played sure. pretty well. But, um, you know, it hasn't been as good as I think that we have come to expect from him. 
Um, you know, it's kind of, I mean, it's funny, right? Like you obviously watch this game and then you look at the stats afterwards and it's a little confusing because it's like, you kind of look at it and you're just kind of shocked how few plays they ran, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah, know, because like, I'm- was UTSA was just like, they were, I don't know, like they got everything they wanted and they were able right. to control once they, once they really did get up. And yeah, I, it was weird. Like we'll talk about UTSA in a bit, but like, because in the first half it was back and forth right and the first right. half it was exciting this game was insane like there were four Gavin Hardis making, yeah uh Gavin Hardis was making some great throws he showed off that his arm on that one big throw to Cowing I think went, went for yep. like 50 yep. or just over 50. 52 yards for a touchdown yeah like it was a strike absolute dime and then Deion Hankins was running as well like it was a really good back and forth and then UTEP just absolutely just like both sides, right? We were railing on the defense, but like the offense couldn't sustain anything either. And right. so that obviously played a part in the defense eventually getting, you know, torched uh, towards the in, towards the end of the second half. But man, it was such a promising first half and then like an absolute dud from UTEP. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In fact, I'm just going to read the drive chart for UTEP. Okay. First half, they punt, but you know, it's a six play drive. Then touchdown, missed field goal happens, punt, Touchdown, touchdown, end of half. Okay? So, mm. very good first half. They, they mm. have 21 points at that point. Second half. Six plays punt, three plays fumble, uh, four plays punt, three plays punt, three plays fumble. So, like, again, they just, they just they gave UTSA the ball in too many good situations in that second half. Uh, obviously, they couldn't <laughs> stop them at all. Mm. And then, you know, you add two fumbles, like I mentioned. You add... And, and the, the thing on top of that, right, like the reason that I wanted to say the play, the, the number of plays per drive is that you just saw, right, like UTEP at its best is going to be running 10 plays a drive. So when you're getting three or four and then turning the ball over, I mean, that's just not good enough. And mm-hmm. again, I mean, <laughs> UTEP has played one game since October 10th before that, right? So like, I think that we can give them a little bit of flack. Like I'm not, I'm not overreacting and saying that they've suddenly lost it or anything like that, but I was hoping that they could come out and have a good performance against UTSA and UTSA just looked like a completely, just a totally better team than them. And I don't know. I expected it to look more like the first half where it goes a little back and forth and it's obvious that UTSA is better, but it's close, right? Like actually in the first half watching it, my, one of my biggest thoughts was, wow, you know, it's really nice to see UTEP, even if they lose sort of just looking like they are right there with people and Mm -hmm. that went away. So moving on to number eight, uh, we can talk about Texas Tech for just a second. Um, so does, I, I'm curious, right? Like this has been an issue with Texas Tech, not just this year, but the last two years to go and win some of these close games. That's really been arguably the biggest Achilles heel of this program has been those close games. And especially after what happened the last two weeks against Oklahoma and TCU, I'm curious, does this, game make you feel any different about where texas tech is at i think it does um i don't well i think it does in terms of like i don't i still don't feel great right like i don't this isn't sure they won but i don't know like this is the first really the first close win they pulled out in this fashion is when i can remember um yeah Usually they lose. I mean, usually they lose these games, which, and I don't know if it's just the fact that Baylor's in a worse spot than they are right now that they won. Like I don't know. At tw- coming towards the end of Mowell's second year, you should be seeing this 
habit go away. And despite winning, I don't feel like it's something that they've, it's, I don't feel like it's a hump they've overcome. Um, and so I really don't, I, I really don't feel comfortable right now where tech is. I think they're just kind of getting by the skin of their teeth. We look at the games that they have won, you know, this one included, and it's, I mean, West Virginia is really the only good game. <laughs> right. West Virginia is really the only, and it wasn't even that great. It was just like, oh, they kind of did some stuff on offense and they're, they're kind of, their plotting methodical offense worked for a game and it that's it. It just kind of worked for a game. And now that's all you can point to this season. And, you know, again, second year under Matt Wells, we should be starting to see the makings of what tech should be under him. And right now, the only thing I see that being is a team that loses close games is doesn't really know what its best offense is and kind of sort of just makes mistakes a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the thing that I'll say is that I do think, and I mean, <laughs> I, I know that this is sort of a, a trope that gets thrown around a lot, but I do think that this team continues to play harder than you expect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, I mean, at least from the perspective of are they – are they still trying? You know, it, it feels like they mm-hmm. still are, right? Even, even after the last two weeks, you know, both times I still felt like they, they played 60 minutes, even though it didn't go their way. And I guess the question for me now is, you know, I think that, I think that it's becoming pretty clear that this defense is becoming something that you can start to rely on a little bit. That's fair, yeah. You, you know, and which it's obviously I expected the offense to kind of figure things out before the defense did, but mm-hmm. – you know, I mean, it really was at the end of the day. Like, I know the, the final score of the TCU game ended up kind of being a blowout, but, you know, it really was two or three lapses on defense that made all the difference because the offense was struggling, right? And mm-hmm. and it was kind of interesting to see Alan Bowman come in there, obviously in relief, and sort of look like he's back in control of things a little, you know, because that was not something that we had seen really early in the year, right? He had struggled uh, to deal with pressure. He had struggled to, to stay focused. Um, you know, so I, I did feel like from a Bowman perspective, we saw a lot. The other guy who I thought played really, really well uh, was Taj Brooks, you know, your yes. guy from Maynard. I, mm-hmm. I thought that he, I, he was not one of these guys who I expected to come in and play real snaps as a freshman, as a true freshman. Sure. Um, you know, and, and I thought that he's played really, really well. And, and I think that having that dimension of the run game does give Texas Tech's offense a little more consistency mm-hmm. that, than just praying that Sir Roger Thompson can break one. Right. And I think, I think that's, you know, Tosh Brooks' emergence is kind of something in the basket of that Matt Wells can point to, right? Because he is – this is still I, – I mentioned that it's, you know – end of the second year, we should start to be seeing something more consistent, but this is still a culture shock for tech, right? Yeah. Taj Brooks does not get offered three years ago, right? right? Taj Brooks doesn't get offered 10 years ago. Players like that, right? Small, big running backs that are, you know, workhorse. Workhorses don't get recruited. Even though, you know, he hasn't played that much, but even a wide receiver in Loic Fungi's size, right? 6'4", you know, almost 200, like he doesn't get offered, right? And so this is like, Matt Wells still recruiting to a system that Tech's not used to really recruiting to. And he's playing with a lot of guys who he might not have offered if he was here two, three years ago. Um, so I do want to do have some perspective, but I can also understand where it's like Tech's coming from a position where, you know, 
five wins, six wins was getting annoying or not, not even six wins, five wins was getting right, annoying. Right. And you want that instant gratification of six, seven showing improvement. Right. But you know, I, I, the part where I'm still, I guess I'm still holding on to Matt Wells is like, okay, well he know we should have all known that this was a tear down completely rebuilt and he's rebuilding with guys who are, you know, for the in most part are not built to play a system. Right. Right. So I think that, you know, I, I think that this is a step. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a small step, right? I mean, right. but, uh, and it's one that I think that, you know, going against Oklahoma State in two weeks, I'm not saying you have to beat them by any means. I mean, Oklahoma State's really good. But I think that after this, after showing, you know, we can win these close games and, and starting to find a little bit of identity on offense, I think that losing big to Oklahoma State in two weeks would be a disappointment and would be a step back. So right. th- that's the challenge that I'd make for Texas Tech is use this by week, you know, develop more, some more of those young guys who I think have played pretty well. Um, and again, you know, that was Matt Wells' whole thing, obviously, was when he came in, he was a developmental coach. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you have a guy like that, it usually does take two or three years before you see all the results. But I think it's time now, obviously, where you have a big game next week. You, you beat Oklahoma State last year, by the way, too. Um, you know, obviously in an upset spot. And this, this is a much better Oklahoma State team. But I think, uh, you know, being able to compete with that Oklahoma State offense, not making mistakes is obviously a big thing that we've talked about. Um, and, and getting something going on offense. If you can show me something in two weeks, you know, I'll feel a lot better about this being a step. So, mm-hmm. whew, number seven, TCU. <laughs> uh where do you want to start um well actually i mean no i, I can know where to, i know where to start that offensive line sucks <laughs> so our uh our good friend parker uh parker fleming who obviously uh, was on the program i think two weeks ago mm-hmm. uh he tweeted out a screenshot <laughs> I, I think he saw the screenshot right um <laughs> it was of what allegedly was a football game yes. um you know, I we we're still working to confirm, obviously. Right, right. <laughs> but, I gotta call Gary to see if that was actually. <laughs> basically, the deal, and again, context: West Virginia has the number one defense in the Big Twelve, has a great defensive line. Okay, now that that's out of but the way. Theoret- but theoretically, TCU has a collegiate offensive line. <laughs> you know, has a has an offensive line made up of players who play football. I, ideally, right. ideally, um, or players, just in general, <laughs> just people, <laughs> just humans. You know, yeah, right. bodies. So, so I, uh, so Parker is well known for sort of tweeting out uh, these these like scatter plots that he makes, sort of graphing data, right? Mm-hmm. And I told him this looks more like one of your random scatter plots than it does an organized football game because TCU's offensive line was like they were in like five different spots on the field. Uh, two of them, two of them were basically on the ground. Yeah, two of them were on the ground. Um, one of them was like chasing after a guy who was about to grab Max Duggan. And then on top of that, like all the receivers were like within three yards of the line too. It was, I I just had no idea. I'm I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it right now. So yeah, you see like two, two on the ground, three, like looking at nothing. Uh, They're like blocking nothing. One pass rusher, just absolutely free. Uh, the running back, I don't know who that is, but the running back's the only one open and he's at the line of scrimmage, like not even in like with like two converging West Virginia defenders on him. So like if he hits it, he's getting hit for no gain. Um, right. <laughs> one wide receiver is running past the first down marker. 
the other one is three yards beyond the line of scrimmage. Uh, one of them's five yards beyond the line of scrimmage, covered. Um, yeah, and Max Duggan is like ten yards behind the line of scrimmage, running. <laughs> he's almost yeah. out of he's almost out of frame. He has to run so far back. He's almost <laughs> out of frame. That is bad. They that was terrible. That off that offensive line was just absolutely horrendous and i think that it's a good encapsulation of what went wrong this year right in the first couple of games tcu's offensive line wasn't ter- terrible and then or at least they played defenses that couldn't take advantage of how terrible they were and then all of a sudden they did and then they <laughs> come up against the war- the best defense who could absolutely take advantage of how bad they were and they couldn't do anything yeah, I mean, the thing that I'll say right about the Big 12 right now is that it's kind of becoming obvious what the tiers are, right? And so, like, oh, 100%. So, so Kansas is the bottom tier. Tech and Baylor are, like, a crazy bottom tier, right? Like, better in Kansas, but, you know, kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, then TCU's right there, right? Like, TCU is firmly right there. Right. And then West yeah. Virginia is above them, right? So, like... Yeah. Um, the good news is that TCU still plays Kansas. And the other good news is that, I mean, that's still, you know, obviously two teams that TCU was good enough to beat the last two weeks before it and get on to a mini winning streak. And, and on top of that, they still pulled the opposite over Texas because, of course, they did. Um, so at the end of the day, they will finish four and five, which isn't like the worst. Right. Um, you know, obviously in a year where they're playing a non-conference schedule, that's more like a seven and five, although they – would play smu this year i don't think that would go well but uh you know i mean sure fine i don't know it's it it feels like tcu should have been further along this year because the whole deal with gary patterson coach teams is that when they struggle when they finish below 500 it's because Mm -hmm. they are building up to a big season right right gary finds what the problem is fixes it boom we're good to go back on track yeah like let me let me go real quick, right? Because last year they finished uh, below 500 for I think the fourth time under Gary Patterson, which I mean it's crazy, obviously over the course of 20 years. But in 2004 they go five and six. Next year they go 11 and one. In 2013, their second year in the Big 12, they go four and eight. The next year they go 12 and one. In 2016 they go six and seven. Next year they go 11 and three. Last year they go five and seven, and they currently sit at three and four. Yep. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I, I do want to give context. This is a weird year, right? If, if Gary wanted to wait a year and have his giant bump for the 21 season, fine. The issue is I don't know where that's coming from. Yeah, no, I, I don't either. <laughs> so, 24-6 was the final against a West Virginia team that is decidedly not very good. Um, mm-hmm. A West Virginia team that, by the way, lost to Texas Tech. So, yeah, you know, cool. <laughs> to, to get I, I just I think that's the confusing thing is just to get bodied like that and I mean I, I don't want to say that the defense was in any way at fault because the offense was just so bad but mm-hmm. they also didn't look great either right like they also especially in the secondary which is their strongest unit they gave up a lot of big plays and I don't know it, it just feels like maybe maybe TCU's just becoming complacent maybe there's just not much left to to do or say or and you know things aren't getting better I, I I just don't know I don't even know what to say about this team at this point yep so I guess we'll stop <laughs> <laughs>
yeah, it'll be, uh, they have a bye week this week too. So it'll be interesting to see if they can get anything figured out. But moving on, we got number six, the Rice Owls. They were off this week because their game against Louisiana Tech was postponed. They still have played only two games total. Uh, and they play at North Texas this week. So that should be kind of interesting. Number five, we got Houston, uh, 56-21 win over South Florida. This was this was the game that we really hoped to see from them because the 56-21 wasn't even as close as – you know it was not even that close. They went up 42-0 and just coasted from there. Right. We were like, hey, this game shouldn't be close. And luckily for them, it wasn't. Like, <laughs> we basically went into this one was like, okay, if, this, if Houston is as improved as we think they are, this should not be close. And congrats, they took care of business. They crushed a bad team, which is what we were hoping to see because we had not seen that full, like that, that type of full game uh, performance. Really, even in the games they won, like it was always like a slow start or a, a slow finish. And we hadn't seen that full, you know, full, a complete four quarters of, of domination or even of consistency. And we finally saw that, right? Clayton Toon. You know, we didn't. They didn't ask him to throw the ball all over the place because they didn't really need to. They were able to run the ball really effectively, um, and yeah, I don't know. The defense was really awesome. Um, you know, USF couldn't really get anything going, and good job. <laughs> yeah, good job, good effort. Uh, accomplished. Yeah. The the one thing that I'll say is that uh, Marcus Jones had his real his first really big game as a punt returner. Um, mm. Four, four, uh, four returns, 145 yards, including a 72-yard touchdown return. Uh, he was a guy who they brought in, I, th- I think it was from Troy. He was an all-sunbelt player there. So uh, good to finally see sort of some of that come through in the special teams game. Uh, yeah, it was a complete team effort. That's what you want to see. And now they have to play SMU. So, you yeah. know, that, that'll be <laughs> SMU coming off a loss too, which obviously we'll get to. But um, yeah. It should be a fun game. It should be an interesting game. But These last three games are going to be really fun for Houston. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really curious to see what we learn about them. So moving on to number four, the UTSA Roadrunners. We, we mentioned them a little bit, uh, beating UTEP 52-21. to 21. They moved to 5-4 and four right now. Fantastic for them. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious, uh, is this Frank Harris passing game? something that i'm not saying that they're gonna do at that level right he's not gonna yeah, throw yeah. for 300 300 yards that's that's not something that he's built to do mm-hmm. but do you think that this will help build some trust in the passing game uh heading forward i hope so because they were like it wasn't even like i don't know i saw like different um different levels of trust in the play call too right it was like yeah a lot of rpo a lot of short passes and then like when they trust when the defense bit like they trusted him to go deep right and they have deep receiving threats like zakari franklin um who by the way got away with an absolutely <laughs> d- d- stupid move uh fumbling on a clear touchdown uh or trying to taunt uh yeah. poking the yeah. ball forward and he ended yeah. up fumbling and getting a touchback which obviously didn't matter in the end but um Still, like I the, forgot that was him actually. <laughs> right, yeah, that was right, right, exactly. He had such a good game, <laughs> right. And then, by the way, he had the most boneheaded play of the season for UTSA. <laughs> right, right, but, right. Um, but yeah, which which shows like it could have been even a bigger margin. Um, yeah, like I don't know, like I I really hope so because you know when when they said Josh Atkins was was cleared for this game, I was like, okay, are they gonna how how long is uh, Harris's leash gonna be? Right. And, the answer was very long. They didn't you know, right. did not need him to come out. They they didn't need to adjust the passing game play calling or anything. Like he was really good. And 
I hope because again, there were some throws where I didn't know he could make. Like right, there were some right. throws to Zakari Franklin, and I was like, oh, he has that in his arsenal. Like I thought they were afraid to throw like ten yards, fifteen yards with him, and that's not the case. He's able to throw the ball a lot, um, and I'm. I hope it's something we see more of because we've seen how predictable with that, that it gets when you just have him throwing these little dink and dunk routes um, and then mostly relying on the running game, right? You, you need this element of balance and, you know, especially with, um, well, I mean, Southern, Southern Miss and North Texas, I don't think they're going to be that pressed right. on defense, but um, you should be able to do something similar, right? Because I think UTEP is better defensively than both of these teams by a good margin. Yeah, and the thing that I'll say too, right, is that the thing with Frank Harris is that I think that you have to, I think that you have to call plays in a way that takes into account what he can do. Because, because here's the deal, right? Like, <laughs> I love watching Frank Harris because to me he's such like a throwback, like mid two thousands quarterback, just in mm-hmm. terms of like his throwing style, right? Because like now everybody's oh, yeah. like a camp kid and everybody's like a, you know, oh, yeah, he, he definitely like just throws the ball, like, right? <laughs> there's no like, there, it's, I mean, I'm sure, obviously, I'm sure he he did the camp circuit and all that stuff, right, but like right. his just overall mechanics just look like you're watching, like yeah, like mid, like Steve McNair or something throwing <laughs> right, the ball, <laughs> right, right. Like I mean, it's a sort of thing where where you're just like, okay, you're used to everybody just like you know having these drops and having this you know this perfect form that they're trying to work on and and yeah frank harris just kind of launches it and sees what happens you know i mean again it's it's probably the lazy comparison because they're both lefties but you know it's kind of like when you watched tebow and it's like he's like pulling it back and it's just weird and you're like but it gets there you know and Mm -hmm. and the thing is obviously because of that you know harris's balls tend to to float a little bit when he throws them but you know if you can if you can take that into account, right? Like there's not a ton of teams that can take advantage of that in conference USA, right? Like sure. you have to have pretty good defensive backs to be able to compete with guys. And that those teams exist, obviously like a UAB can do that, but you know, I mean, I, I think that there's, you know, no reason to not sort of, it's almost a, in a way, you know, some run and shoot, right. Where it's like, you know, you, you, establish some of the short stuff and mostly when you're throwing the ball deep, you're throwing it like deep, you're taking shots, but I think that he proved he can he can make some of those shots, and that was something that we saw from him in high school. So I'm curious to see, because like you mentioned, you get Southern Miss and North Texas the last two weeks of the year, and those are two teams that cannot compete with you at defensive back, right? And mm-hmm. so is that something that they try to integrate a little more? Because the other thing, too, that I imagine is that the more that he throws these passes, I, I think the better off he's going to be long term. So I think this team is in a great position. I really liked what I saw from them. Um, and and look, I know that it's UTEP, and I know that UTEP hasn't been very good so far, but I still think the way that they were able to turn on the Jets in that second half, I, I think that was impressive. 100%. And I think that I saw the ceiling of this all. Again, this is all without the one of the best players in the country, one of the best players in the state, like their best player by far, Sincere McCormick. And I just think that you can't – the ceiling of this team now – I thought, and I think a lot of people thought it was highest with Josh Atkins, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And now, I, I, I mean, Frank Harris, it looks like it's, it's clearly Frank Harris to me. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just hope they keep it going from here. Yeah, no question about it. So number three, you got the Texas Longhorns. They obviously didn't play. Uh, and I'll, I will say at number one, we got Texas A&M, who had a game postponed against Tennessee, but they are planning to play against Ole Miss at this time, uh, as far as we know. Mm-hmm. That takes us to number two. Oh my goodness! I uh, so I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. I think I think you texted me last night. Uh, 
why always Tulsa? <laughs> why is it always Tulsa? <laughs> Jesus, SMU, God. Speaking of, okay, so we so we talked about Baylor's offense, right? Going up twenty to six or whatever it was, and I was like, all yeah. right, well, that's enough. Yeah, SMU scores twenty four. Was like, that's enough points, and right. just like right. decided to just not play football. And guess what? <laughs> they lost again. <laughs> Congratulations, you lost. Like, uh, Jesus, that was the most frustrating thing. <sighs> so, like you mentioned, two years ago, uh, in Sunny Dyke's first year. SMU goes on the road to Tulsa and they just need to win that game and they make a bowl, right? In, in Sunny Dyke's first season. And obviously I don't need to tell anybody listening how rare making bowls has been consistently in SMU's tenure, right? Yep, yep. And then they go and lose to a terrible Tulsa team. Not like a good Tulsa team, a terrible Tulsa team. Yep. Uh, and then last year, they do end up pulling off the game, but they go, uh, they go down three touchdowns and have to put together a huge comeback in order to win. And then triple this year, overtime. Triple overtime last year. And then this year. Look, I just want to be very clear. If SMU wins the game against Tulsa, Tulsa, a team that, you know, has played well, I, I still don't think anybody would confuse them for being, like, great, right? Like, I mean, I, honestly, they might be in the AP Top 25 right now, which is kind of funny because, I mean, I think that you watch this team and you're like, they're good. They're not right. great, right? Like, they're fine. I don't know. <laughs> um, and granted, I, I will say this is this is also what <laughs> what Tulsa's done all year, where they just kind of stick around, and then it's like, well, you know, let's see if we can ruin your day. And, and by the way, Tulsa is in the poll now at number twenty-five. Which, wow, sure. I, I don't know if I expected <laughs> that. Um, the funniest thing about this, by the way, especially as somebody who <laughs> covered Phil Montgomery at Baylor in the mid twenty tens, that. Uh, is that, by the way, this team keeps winning with defense. Yeah. Yeah, what? I don't know. Like, Zach Smith wasn't that great. Like, no. he really wasn't. Like, <laughs> He was good in the second half. I will say that. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But what the – I just – if SMU wins that game yesterday, they basically have a clear shot at a rematch with Cincinnati in the AAC title game, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Right? This is what we expect. This is what we hoped for with Shane Bouchelle coming back. You know, and, and I think that we, you know, as a staff, we're, we're higher on what this team could be coming into the year than I think other people were, right? I mean, we put them on the cover of the dang magazine, obviously. Mm-hmm. The thing that's frustrating, I think, about, about SMU, and, you know, look, this, I, I think that it's obviously easy to say this after a loss, and, and Tulsa played really good defensively. I don't want to take away from what Tulsa did. But when SMU goes, you know, starts getting in like out of rhythm sometimes, they make the game look so hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, I don't know. And it wasn't even like the frustrating part was that in the second half when the offense stalled, the offense, it wasn't like a frustrating stall. It wasn't like a, like a three and out, you know, random three and outs here and there. It was like they were getting big plays still. The drive would just end. Right. Like, it, it wasn't like three and out or even like, you know, two, two first downs. And it was like, hit a big play, 40 yards, okay, punt. Like, right. you know, hit a big play. Uh, Shane Bichelle would bust a couple big runs somehow, and then, like, the drive would just stop. And it was like, where, where is this happening? And then, obviously, he throws a crucial pick at the end uh, when they're trying to go down and, and take the lead again. But, like, it wasn't 
it wasn't like the wheels came off. It was just like they couldn't sustain anything. And that's a credit to Tulsa's defense. You know, they were able to figure some things out. But it wasn't like they shut down the offense. Like, I don't know. It was, it was just really – it was one of the more frustrating games to watch because, like, Rasheed Rice was finding, you know, space behind the, the secondary. Danny Gray was getting in big – you know, making big plays. And it was like, okay, well, you're doing stuff. It's like, just, just kind of keep doing stuff. And, like, they just couldn't. So, I, I think that in a lot of ways, this game comes down to one stats. And that is that when SMU went up, 21-0, which is, by the way, something that they did. <laughs> uh, yeah. When they went up uh, 21-0, after that, they had 13 third downs for the rest of the game. The average down and distance on those plays was third and nine. Jeez. So every single time, right, every single time they were in third and long. I think that out of those 13, I think that three were fewer than five yards. So they, they really were just not in third and short at any point. Right. And the issue became, right, that, that obviously Tulsa's a really good team. I, honestly, I mean, I'm not – like, I obviously have not covered Tulsa. I, I really don't know a ton about, like, how they do things. But it's crazy to me that especially for a staff that, one, is, is at not the easiest place to recruit, but also, like, a staff that <laughs> positions itself as, as offensive – they just get these crazy athletes on defense every single year. Like, yeah, who the hell recruits defensive players for Tulsa? Because they should be working <laughs> somewhere else. <laughs> right. Um, one of the other things, this was a game that I think for me, I mean, we've, we've seen like, you know, the running game struggle, obviously, this year with inconsistency. This was a game that really needed a TJ McDaniel. Yeah. Like, I mean, they tried to establish Levine, which would, which what you'd hoped and we'd hoped that they would do. but. I mean, they're almost 30 carries for Ulysses Bentley, barely getting four yards a carry. Right. Tyler Levine couldn't get to three and a half yards a carry. Like, this was a game that when you're up 21 nothing, which, again, was the thing that happened, you need the ability to salt the game away. Yeah. And, like, I don't want you to, you know, I don't want you to go into full turtle mode, which, you know, they probably went into a little bit too much, but – you're up 21 nothing. You're as good as SMU. You're probably good enough to salt the game away and go into a little bit of a turtle mode at that point. And they couldn't. They right. couldn't really. They, they had no effective running game to be able to, you know, you mentioned third and nines. Like, that's what happens when you try to, you know, uh, when you run on first, second down, and, oh, look, it goes for one and two yards. Great. Now you're looking at, you know, now you're looking at third and six, third and seven. And it's like, okay, well, you got to throw, oh, incomplete punt. Right. So right. Um, this is a game that needed somebody like a TJ McDaniel to, to where you're not running somebody as small as Ulysses Bentley against a really good defense. Right. And, and that's, again, that's, that's why it's just confusing to me that Levine didn't get a few more carries. I Tamrick Williams is another guy who's kind of their big back who right. I, thought maybe could have gotten a couple of carries I mean hell I, I don't know why you don't try you know even a guy like Tyler Page in the backfield right like I think that he showed some real you know some nice moves last week and obviously he's a receiver he's not a guy that you necessarily want to just play running back but but he's just somebody else right who maybe could be a body for you mm-hmm. and I don't know I mean it's it's just it's just very frustrating because because again I mean Shane Bouchelle only completed half of his passes. And I know that a big part of that is how well Tulsa played in the secondary, but part of it is also, I mean, I just, it seemed like, it seemed like a lot of the time, like it seemed like too much of the time 
they were going for the home run play, especially in that fourth quarter. And, you know, look, I, I think that if you hit, if you hit a, a five yard hitch, right. If you, if you hit something like that, that's just the sort of thing that keeps the ball moving at least. And they just really in no way were able to do that. And obviously it costs them. And, yeah. uh, and now SMU, look, they're seven and two, right? Like we're, t- right. we're talking all doom and gloom. Like that's, that's how high our expectations have been of, of SMU this season. Sure. Um, I think, uh, well, I'm, I'm just looking up Tulsa's staff right now. Do you know who their defensive coordinator is? Which I did not know. Oh, man. I know at one point it was Brian Norwood, but I don't think it still is. No, it's Joseph Gillespie, former head coach of Stephenville High School. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Back in 2014, he, he's been in Tulsa ever since, but he, uh, he's a second year's coordinator. And yeah, from, from uh, 2008 2014. Wow. Stephenville head coach and athletic director, Steve, uh, Joseph Gillespie, which I did not know. So, I mean, it makes man. sense. Obviously, Phil Montgomery uh, came sure. up uh, fr- from there. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's pretty fascinating. There's- yeah, and so, like I said, it was an inside promotion from, uh, I think, last year, 2019, was when he got promoted right. to D coordinator. So, yeah, good job, man. He might be looking at something else uh, pretty soon because Tulsa's defense has looked really impressive. It is really funny to, uh, you know, for, for me to look at the staff because they, they've got like a bunch of like sort of guys who were Baylor grad assistants back when I was there. <laughs> so, so like, uh, you know, Carlton Buckles was their cornerbacks coach at Baylor. Now he's their safeties coach at Tulsa. Uh, who else? Who else? Uh, Jordan Iver was a tight end at Baylor. Mm-hmm. Trahan was a, was a quarterback turned linebacker at Baylor. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's kind of fun to look at this staff. But yeah, oh, Aaron Fletcher. Aaron Fletcher was a. I heard his name at Lancaster and and DeSoto. Jeez, this is <laughs> credit to Philip Montgomery. I like this staff. This is really good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a fun one. And I mean, this this is just this is just a factual. This is not me like trying to make a value judgment on it. Tulsa doesn't have a lot of money to hire a staff, and sure, uh, sure, and sure. so it's you got to get creative. Yeah, and so it looks like they've done a good job of getting creative. And uh, yeah, how about that? Well, we'll have to do a deep dive one of these uh, one of these days into Tulsa's weirdness of making a staff because I bet right. that would be a lot. there's a lot of Texas high school connections on here. So <laughs> anyway, again, to be clear, SMU seven and two, they have a very good chance of finishing nine and two, which is amazing. They're fine, which is, yes, which is fantastic. <laughs> right. And and look, I mean, I'm I'm not going to sit here and say that it's over for them to even have a chance of making the, the AAC title game, right? Because Tulsa still has to play Cincinnati and still has to play both Tulane and Houston, which are both, you know, relatively losable games. Mm-hmm. The issue is actually, actually, I guess the issue is they have to lose all three of those, right? For, uh, yes. for, <laughs> for us to me to jump them because they now have the both, let me put it like this, Tulsa and Cincinnati both have tiebreakers against SMU. Mm-hmm. And those are likely going to be the two teams that end up playing in the American title game. So still, still a great place to be, but yeah, just a missed opportunity, man. Just a, just a real, real missed opportunity. Yep. So anyway, uh, to run through it again, just real quick, number 12, Texas state, number 11, Baylor, number 10, North Texas, number nine, UTEP, number eight, Texas tech, number seven, TCU, number six, rice, number five, Houston, number four, UTSA, number three, Texas, number two, SMU and number one, Texas A&M. I will say I'm looking forward to having Texas A&M back next week because 
they're a team that we can be just positive about right now. Oh yeah. Which I, which just makes me terrified. Like I am just terrified for them. I'm like, Oh my gosh, are they going to lose? Are, is, is Lane Kiffin going to have another throw his clipboard up 30 yards in the air against A&M next week? Again, I did not say it. If you have comments about, uh, about that statement, it's at Ishmael R. Johnson on Twitter. That was not me. Don't come after me. I, I do not endorse this message, even though there is probably something to it. Anyway, <laughs> thanks so much, everybody, for joining us. Uh, make sure and pick up your basketball magazine, by the way, TexasBasketball.com. Man, wh- how close are we to games? I guess we're – it's uh, the 25th, right? November 25th? Yeah, I guess we're about roughly two weeks. Man, how about yeah. that? I, it's going to – you know, I'm, I'm excited. Trust me. I'm, I'm excited to get the season started. Um, I am a little bit – I don't want to say – I haven't uh, – this is all – pure speculation on my part i am a little worried about the start of the season on time um yeah. with everything kind of going on right now um i don't know if they ncaa wants to exactly start an indoor sport right now but <laughs> we'll see um it is on schedule there's been no you know again that's me speculating there hasn't been any indication that they will push it back or anything but um yeah i can't believe it's already here yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no i mean look it's going to be really interesting because, you know, we've had all this talk about college football, obviously, but it's also going to be really interesting to see how they, how contact tracing and all that affects basketball, because, Mm -hmm. you know, you're talking about, you know, obviously with football, you're talking about position groups getting knocked out. Well, you only have 12 to 15 guys on a roster. Right. Right. And so it's going to be really interesting to see whether, you know, teams are, you know, if, if they have one case that wipes out a whole team, for example, right? Like, mm-hmm. or alternatively, if because it's a smaller group, if they're able to kind of kind of spread guys more and not yeah. have them be around each other as much. So, whew, I am glad that I'm not the one who has to make those calls, obviously. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's going to be really fun. Obviously, we've got a number of really good teams in the state of Texas. Texas, Texas Tech and Baylor, obviously, on the men's side. And then obviously Baylor on the women's side being a, a top 10 team too. Do we have anybody else on the women's side uh, that, that we really, obviously TC. Uh, yes. Be, I think. Well, uh, they're probably rebuilding this year on the women's side. Um, SFA is SFA. a potential to be a really, really good mid-major team. They're probably the favorites in Southland. Uh, Tech under Krista Gerlich. Uh, yeah, Vivian yeah, Gray yeah, yeah. from Oklahoma State got cleared. So she is going to be an instant boost to them. So they might be a dark horse contender, probably in the mold of TCU last year. Um, trying to think of anybody else. Rice should still be good, even though uh, Eric Ogumake is gone. Uh, they're probably still the favorites in Conference USA. Um, but, 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 it's the Nancy um, Mulkey show. Yeah, yeah, no, it's the 100% the Nancy Mulkey show, and they have a really good uh, underclassmen that are uh, a year older. Um, I'm trying to think. That might be all of the big contenders that are coming to my mind, but uh, long story short, it should be a really fun year on the women's side too. Uh, and oh, and uh, even though Kennedy Carter's gone, uh, she was hurt a lot last year, and they were still really, really good. And I think, do we mention Texas? They got Vic Schaefer, by the way. Um, so yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have one of the best coaches in women's basketball, so or in all of basketball. So yeah, uh, yeah. I'm really interested to see what they do. Yeah, I mean, I'm that's that's really the thing I'm going to be watching most this year uh, on the women's side is obviously Vic Schaefer was hired to beat Kid Mulkey. So yes. it's going to be really curious to see, uh, you know, if that can happen. Because, yeah, it. <laughs> yeah it, it's way different to have to play Kim Mulkey, you know, once every couple of years in the tournament than yeah. having to play her every single year. So <laughs> it's going to be really fun. I, I'm really excited about this basketball season. I think it could – I really hope that things go well because I do think that this could end up being one of the more fun years of college basketball on both the men's and women's side that we've seen in a while. So. Mm-hmm. 
Looking forward to that. Make sure and pick up the magazine at TexasBasketball.com. We also have features on Baylor men's basketball and on Chris Aguirre, the Texas Tech uh, women's coach, on TexasBasketball.com, so make sure and check that out. But anyway, you can find all of our work at TexasFootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. Uh, become a subscriber at TexasFootball.com slash subscribe. For Ishmael Johnson, I'm Shahan Jairaja. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will be back with you guys on Wednesday.